lot of those one, the single modality or technology-based concepts, there's not a lot of opportunity to tailor things to someone's specific needs, certainly an injury. So when they land in our facility, it's like, oh, this is great. You know, finally someone to work around my knee replacement, even though I'm only 55, I still like mm-hmm. to golf and take vacations to Morocco and go hiking and all these things. That's what our customer avatar does. But it's really hard to accommodate that if you don't understand that customer avatar and you don't have all the technology and everything in place to do so. Welcome to the Alloy Personal Training Business Podcast, where we'll share our insights on how to make more money, how to help more people, and how to be a better leader for your business and your community. We've been in this game since 1992, and we'll share our successes and failures along the way. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. Hello, fitness business nerds. Welcome to another episode of the Business for Unicorns podcast. And today I'm excited to have a very special guest who's never been on the podcast before, and we're fixing that today. This is a gentleman who needs no introduction. He's been a force in the fitness industry for decades. I'm so excited for this conversation. Welcome, Rick Mayo. Thank you, Michael. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. You've been speaking around the world for decades, famously now running the Alloy franchise, which we'll be diving into and talking about. But there might be the one or two people in our audience who are like, Rick Mayo, I've heard of that guy, but tell me more. <laughs> and so, so for the one or two people who might be out there who don't know your whole bio, how do you explain to people what your career has been up to this point? It's been lengthy. We'll start with that. <laughs> we opened our original uh, personal training facility in 1992. And then we ended up through some trial and error landing on a really interesting business model where we could train more than one person with one coach. Ended up in one of the highest revenue per square foot facilities in the country. That put us on the radar for speaking and consulting. And then as people wanted to purchase parts and pieces of what we were doing, that led to what became a licensing business about 15 years ago. So just think about a white labeled version of what we're doing, powering all types of different brands from CrossFit to Anytime Fitness, Gold's Gym boutique fitness, everything in between. And then at the end of 2019, we decided, listen, instead of, you know, powering all these other franchises, let's do our own franchise. And then it became, you know, where, like, what are we going to do? There's a lot of fitness in franchising. So how are we going to differentiate ourselves? And we really had gone back to our roots, which was personal training. And then how we serviced it made it a scalable business model, more affordable for the consumer and a better business model for the owner. And that's what we brought to market. And so far, so good. Yeah, good for you. I mean, that's, I imagine there's a little bit of tough luck timing making the decision in 2019. And then the world's coming to an end for a little while. But I know you're still hitting the ground running. I've seen I've seen lots, <laughs> lots of movement. And so maybe just talk a little about the decision for you personally, because I kind of get the business case for franchising. That makes 100% sense to me. But it's also a lot of work for you personally, a big lifestyle change to be running a franchise business <laughs> instead of your own. And so can you just talk a little bit about from that decision from a personal perspective? I think so. I mean, uh, listen... You know, everyone likes to say, oh, there was no more runway left in whatever business we were. It's probably not true. I I could have continued to grow licensing. But, you know, I think every entrepreneur, like, how do you how do you sort of judge your success? And I think it's personal for everyone. But for us, it was, you know, a couple things like, A, are we doing good in the world? And the answer is yes, in any of those different structures that we're in. And then secondly, what's the enterprise value? So will another entrepreneur be able to put a value on your essentially your life's work? And in a licensing model, while it cash flows well and it's a great business, there's not as much enterprise value as there is in a franchise. So that was part of it. And that's sort of the business metrics that you probably touched on. And then also, I really liked the vehicle. I thought, you know, from our licensing model, which we could deploy a lot of the same assets, but we didn't have much control. You know, you could see some situations where you're like, wow, if I could just tell this person exactly what to do, 
mm-hmm. and hold them accountable to those things, they would be much more successful. So I liked the vehicle for the success of the either licensee or now franchisee. I think it's a better vehicle for success. And I like collaborative partnerships. I think there's, you know, obviously the sum of the parts are greater than the, or the sum is greater than individual parts. And franchising is certainly that it's a fractionalized partnership. So it sort of speaks to philosophically that who, not how kind of philosophy that we adhere to. So there's a lot of reasons why financial, obviously philosophically, can we help more people? Yes. And I mean, let's face it at the end of the day, it's also kind of cool just to see something you started in college, right? Have the name on the front door. And I would lie if I said there wasn't some ego involved in that. That's not certainly even in the top 10 reasons why, but it is kind of cool to say, Wow, you know, look at that. There's a place that I started in college and now with a name on the front door that's in Utah or Montana or New York or wherever that is. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's super cool. I mean, who wouldn't be stoked about that? So yeah, of course. And I think you have to have a little bit of a healthy ego to be an entrepreneur, right? <laughs> in some ways, yes. it's, you gotta, it's kind of part of the ingredients you need in the recipe often. Well, I want to get back to talking about the who part and the partnerships and, you know, and the people you're surrounding yourself with at Alloy for sure. But I want to start with just kind of the, the scalability. Cause I feel like creating a franchise is kind of the ultimate task in creating scalable systems. And so I was going to talk just about, you know, what are some of the systems you thought were was kind of most important to scale? Uh, and what are some of the lessons you've t- took away from that process? Yeah, I think operationally is is where people, you know, suffer. I think you can go yeah. out and as you know, I think, you know, you guys run your, your business for Unicorns coaching group and it's always about lead production, right? That's mm-hmm. what you hear a lot of. And then, you know, you're looking maybe at a, from crop duster height at someone's business where you're not as emotionally involved and you're like, well, you really have a retention and operational problem, but it's not fun to talk about. It's hard to sell that to people because they just <laughs> want warm bodies in their facility, right? Yep. Um, and and in, in some ways, you have to meet them where they are as a business, you know, what you're offering. So for us, I thought those were the biggest deficiencies from seeing all of these. I mean, it's 2,500 clubs, Michael, from India to Tasmania and everything in between. So across the board, where were the deficiencies in most folks? And it was just operational efficiencies. And so... Those were the things that we were able to get the best in business, if you will, softwares, marketing techniques, induction process, literally the training, the customer retention strategies, literally in that chronological order, and then bolt them all together so that we could have a seamless customer experience from the first time someone ever saw any type of advertisement or the name Alloy until three years later, which, by the way, is our average stay for a customer in our brand. It's like, okay. From there to three years later, can we build a seamless process all the way through using technology, obviously, human connection, all the things, right? That's where folks were most efficient is that complete customer experience from soup to nut, customer journey, maybe. And it was great to be able to bolt all that together and just have it in a sandbox. And someone comes on board, we're like, here you go. Just run the play, right? Yeah, 100%. And to all too often, I, I think a mistake I see a lot of gem operators make is they actually don't zoom out to the crop duster view to think about the client journey. They think about it uh, with a microscope <laughs> each step of the way. And with that kind of view, it's really hard to wrap your arms around the system that supports a journey that could be three years long on average, right? That's a very different lens. So I think that makes a ton of sense. One of the systems that I find a lot of our Unicorn Society members wind up struggling with, and I know a lot of listeners have asked us to talk about this a lot, is scaling systems around marketing and selling. 
And I know Alloy runs a very lean team, so it's not like, you know, it's, it's not like you have a whole department <laughs> dedicated to that in most franchises. And the same thing is true for most studios in, the, in this country, is that they have a hard time wrapping around their arms around with the limited time they have as a team. How much time gets spent on marketing and selling? And what do you spend it doing? And so do you can just talk a little bit about what you've learned about marketing and selling systems when scaling up an alloy franchise? Those are obviously closely related, but they are two separate skill sets, right? I mean, yep. we often say like, if you can just learn to sell in general, there are some guidelines and some actual techniques around selling that would allow you to sell automobiles, software, or personal training, right? They would yep. all work, right? Once you can learn to sell, and then by the way, as a skill set for anyone listening, it's an amazing skill set because once you have that ability, then you can take it to any vertical that you want, right? And you can probably earn a pretty good living doing it. Yep. Then it's like, all right, well, then how do I create the leads to then sell to? That's the next step. And that's the marketing. And that's where they become interconnected, right? And so for us, we had the distinct advantage of working with a million and one different companies, you know, through our experience in the industry. And so instead of what well, one thing that makes us a little different as a franchise, instead of hiring in a marketing team, right? That would be on our team that would just sort of work in a silo is to, you know, again, partner with the best vendor that we know that we could then call out sort of an alloy version of what they're doing, creative, everything, right? Split tests, everything. So that when we bring on a franchisee, they don't have to do that. I mean, anyone listening that's on your end of the spectrum, that's an independent owner, you know, everybody knows you, you engage with the new marketing agency and here's the 900 things that you have to do, right? Go shoot a video of this. I need two short form videos. I need some pictures. I need this. I need that, right? And, and it's a lot of work. And then they test the ads and then you're off and running. But imagine in the franchise world, what's great about it is because we've already hammered all of those details out, you're able to just say, go. And, you know, we often use that time to value quotient, which is like, how quickly can you get someone from starting the thing to the thing, whatever it is. So imagine a world where in franchising, the difference is we already have all that stuff figured out. So you're a new franchisee, you turn on pre-sales and day one, you've got 50 leads and you're just like, whoa, you know, and there's the software on the back end to support those leads and move them into the different sales pipelines. There's a scripted process. We can look at your text messages. We can listen to your phone calls and help coach you. So I think those are two things that are difficult to figure out. But I think a lot of it is just that time to value. There's so much effort on the front end mm -hmm. to get the return that I think one of the advantages, again, of a franchise is like it's already done for you. It's already been tested. It's working in every market thus far. I mean, the last few clubs that we've opened have sold completely full, some overselling in eight weeks of a presale. This is a month before they even open. It's like they already have a waiting list. So it's possible. And I think that's one of the advantages. And, and a strategy that we've chosen of partnering with really good vendors yeah. as opposed to just bringing it all in-house where we may not get the advantage of what they're seeing in other brands and other markets, right? And that's important for us to always be like moving forward and bullets before cannonballs, right? Like firing out there to get our range before we dump all of our gunpowder in there, which in our case means giving it to all of our franchisees. Let's try it. Let's practice it first. And our vendors are good partners in doing that with us. Yeah, well, that, that makes a ton of sense. And I think even for, you know, our listeners who aren't planning to franchise anytime soon, I think it's, there's some great lessons in there, right? Finding great partners that you trust, that you know are doing great work, knowing that upfront you're going to have to invest a ton of time in creating assets and resources to make the marketing work and making sure you have a written down process that you can change over time, which means scripts of talking points that you follow, <laughs> a customer journey that's well right. mapped out. So I think even in what you shared, there's, there's value for all of our, you know, all of our listeners. And those things, like you said, become a big unique value for for doing a franchise right because all of that stuff is more or less 
done for you. That's that's the value, one of the values. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, um, it's probably too much about franchising, but you're right. I think it's saddle up to someone who's doing really good work in the space that you're in, which obviously yeah. for most folks here is going to be fitness, you know, and they're going to be some some specific things to you. But also, like if someone's already doing it, isn't that the best way to look at what someone else yeah. is doing? And if they're killing it, just like do what they do. I know everyone's completely different. And obviously, you know, you're unicorns as this name states, yeah, and we're all totally. unique, but in a lot of ways, the same practices will work for you. Best practices, find good partners. You're going to be just fine. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And in fact, we, we wind up telling so many of our clients all the time that we bring them together in groups and on Facebook groups in a quarterly retreats so they can steal from each other, right? If, if someone's doing something really great and they're willing to share it, yes. then why figure it out yourself? And so, and that's, you know, it's kind of the ultimate promise of a franchise is we figured this out. Let us share it with you, which is amazing. Let's actually talk about the, the people part of this. Cause you mentioned how much mm-hmm. you value partnerships and aligning yourself with people who you want to do great work with. And clearly, you know, picking someone to be a franchisee for Alloy, it's kind of that ultimate business marriage, <laughs> right? And that you're in it for it hopefully is. many, many years together. Uh, and so how do you, how do you, you know, just, I'm probably, this is probably its own podcast. There's so much to say here, but how do you go about finding the right people? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think there's a certain avatar that we're looking for. Here's what's one thing that's been interesting for us, Michael, is that our customer avatar is a bit different than other fitness concepts, meaning it tends to be more expensive. So we trend a little bit older in mm-hmm. age bracket because of that. So we're, we're mostly focused on a 45 to 65 year old age bracket, not because we chase, I guess, air quotes old, right? And we're not like mm-hmm. Silver Fox Fitness or something silly. I wouldn't want to work out there either, though, even though I'm in the age category. But it's, it's like a luxury car. Like, I mean, if you're a, I'm not a sports car guy, but if you are, maybe you love Porsche, but their the customer avatar is probably not 26 years old, mostly because of the price threshold. It's going to push it 45 to 65. And we look at what we do the same way. Very scientific programming. You know, our influence is probably similar to, to a lot of the folks that are listening to this tip of the sphere, strength conditioning, just sort of dumbed down for lack of better terms to make it work for everyday adults. And then the price threshold is what pushes us into that age category. So, yeah, I think that our franchise candidates recognize that because it just so happens that most people that have the money typically to invest in a franchise concept are also in the same age bracket as the people who can afford to buy personal training. So normally if we're talking to a prospect, they'll look at what we do and they go, oh, this makes total sense because they're in it. They're living they are, it right They now. are the avatar. Yeah. <laughs> right. They've gone to CrossFit and been injured. No, no, you know, again, whatever with CrossFit. But I mean, I think that, you know, that they've gone to CrossFit and been injured. Maybe they've gone to a few other concepts where they're supposed to run for 30 minutes and they're like, oh, I've got this bad knee. And, and a lot of those one, those single modality or technology-based concepts, there's not a lot of opportunity to tailor things to someone's specific needs, certainly an injury. So when they land in our facility, it's like, oh, this is great. You know, finally someone to work around my knee replacement, even though I'm only 55, I still like mm-hmm. to golf and take vacations to Morocco and go hiking and all these things. That's what our customer avatar does. But it's really hard to accommodate that if you don't understand that customer avatar and you don't have all the technology and everything in place to do so. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I love that. I think it's very smart that the franchisees are often people who very much align and are your avatar, right? Because they, their model resonates with them. They get it. And they'll also be really great leaders and ambassadors for that location, knowing that they are very similar to a lot of people they'll serve. What about further down the org chart? So you got the people who are the franchisees, but what about the staff? Because, you know, we all know what we're selling is a, we're a people business. So getting the right coaches in the door, the right staff inside the facility is huge. Can you talk a little bit about the process you've developed at Alloy for finding the right staff? 
100%. So we provide assets. So let me give you an example. So the key figure in the, in our fitness business and every fitness business of folks that are listening is the main operator, whether that be you call them the general manager. We like the consumer facing term director of training. Nobody wants to see the manager. You know, you always want to see like the head trainer person, right? That's the person that can give you help. And so that person is key. So we provide our franchisees with a talent acquisition vendor that just works in the fitness space. We've written the advertisement for this particular role. So we feel like we have that you know, nailed. And it's been working really well. And then we also have a screening process that we've worked with where we've built it basically, you know, there's a lot of them out there, but like, here's how you're hardwired. And then we'll overlay the functions of either the part-time coaches and or the general manager over the top of how they're hardwired. And it helps us to just realize like, I might really like this person, but they're really not hardwired to do this role. You know, maybe they don't like confrontation. Well, if you're selling and you're in somewhat of a management role, it's just unfortunate. It's going to be nature of the beast, right? You have to at least be able to have what we would consider tough conversations, right? We always say like hard conversations now, and that's how you really care about people, honestly, or harder conversations later. And so we need those type of leaders. Now, interestingly, going back to the investor level that you'd ask about, yes, the customer avatar, but more importantly, we are really fans of this interesting statement. It says, are you the person you're looking for is looking for? And basically what that means is when we're looking at an investor partner, is it the type of person that's going to attract the type of operator to work along with them, right, to run their facility? And then, by the way, that operator is then going to go and attract coaches to come and work for them as well, right? And so it's a trickle down, birds of a feather flock together. And so we really want to find people that are dynamic. They fit our core values. They have a good sense of humor. You know, they have a, a pretty outgoing personality so that they'll attract a like person because the next person in line has to be in front of customers all day, right? So we've had folks, Michael, that come to the table that are really good folks, but they're, you know, maybe they do computer programming. They're extremely introverted. They never leave their home, you know, except to do some outdoor activities or what have you. And they will even admit my biggest concern is where I'm going to attract talent for the fitness space because I'm just not very extroverted. And that's a fair assessment, honestly. So we're also looking for that. And that will trickle down to the operator who will then trickle down to the coaches. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, there's so much research and data that, that shows that people's work experience really hinges a lot on their one level up manager, right? The person who they directly report to. And so I love this idea. If we find people who are going to be great operators of the, of each franchise, that they will attract people who want to work with them, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's a big part a of the screening novel process. Concept. Yeah, right? <laughs> right, uh, right. And so often when people look for leaders or managers or general manager type of people, they're not often thinking about it from that lens, but I think it's a really important one. Uh, I'd love to hear more just kind of about the screening process. So when you mentioned kind of seeing how someone's hardwired, are you talking about them doing assessments or is this an interview yes. approach? How are you getting that that information? Yes, it's a company that's located. So we're, we're based out of Atlanta, Georgia, and there's mm -hmm. a company based in Atlanta and they do some work with Coca-Cola and some other big companies. And it's just a screening process. It's somewhat unique, but I would say it's probably not a huge departure from DISC and all the others that are out there, right? Sure. But what's interesting about it is I think the analogy that the owner of the company used is like, you could say someone wants to be a pilot, but there's a drastic difference between a fighter pilot and an airline pilot, right? Or like a seaplane pilot or a touring pilot. So sure. completely different type of individual, both pilots. And so I think for us, what this test allows us to do is really drill down on what are the attributes needed to be a director of training, which means you're going to have to be able to sell. I mean, to be honest, you're selling during the pre-sale, but you're still selling, you know, 10 years later when someone's like, oh, 
you know, I'm kind of off the wagon. I think I'm going to take a break. I mean, you're selling them on the fact that like, nope, you need to be here, you know, and here's why. So you're always, you have to have that sales acumen. And then you also have to be able to have the caring side as well. You know, it's kind of a combo of like the hunter gardener, you know, conundrum where like the hunter leaves the yard and kills things, right? And you eat Mm -hmm. what you kill. And then the gardener, if you throw it over the fence, they'll take care of it. This particular individual needs to be a little bit of both. And what this test will allow us to do is really discover whether or not, you know, you're able to do it. And what it does, and it, this might sound like a, maybe a negative way to, to describe it, but it eliminates maybe that 25% of people or, or so who are just not hardwired to do that role. And that's really, I think, fair and, and actually sets the person up for success, even if it's not with you. It's like, listen, it's a good test for them to realize, right? This is not a role that you're more than likely going to succeed at. Yeah, well, I think there's a great takeaway for our listeners here, because even dear listeners, if you're you know not partnering with a company to create your own self-assessment or you're not going to be franchising, the idea I think here that you're sharing, Rick, is really sound. And this is a strategy a lot of big companies use. It's not very popular in fitness space. Our businesses tend to be too small to have this kind of advanced <laughs> hiring software. But it's very common for you know CEOs and executives to have to take all kinds of self-assessments on their personality, working style, communication style, leadership style. And so I think the takeaway for our listeners is probably something Something like get really clear on the values and the characteristics and the skill set you need. And if you can, you know, put together your own little quiz, put together your own little self-assessment, put together your own way of asking questions that really gets to the core of what do you need from this person for them to be successful in this role. I think more people should be hiring more slowly and putting people through more paces like this to make sure that they're a right fit. So, you know, I think that's a great example for our listeners, Rick. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. And it's, probably a skill also, right? Like the more people you interview, the better you get and you get better at the process over time. But I can't think of anything more valuable because you mentioned it before, like the people are the business in a lot of ways. We're providing a service and the way that we first hiring and then the way that we treat and onboard and long-term communicate with our team is exactly going to end up manifesting itself in the way that they work with your customers, right? Or their customers. So it's uber, uber important. And we could probably spend hours. I know that you guys are, are great culture builders. So I'm sure you have a lot of material on this, but it's really important. So if you look at, you know, your business partner, you know, Mark, which I, I guess I could mention that he's, you know, he's purchased an alloy franchise and, and yep. I'm so proud of it. And the reason that I had so much pride and I was so honored to be associated with him was because of the work that you guys have done. And so when you look at like the person you're looking for is looking for, it's such a massive compliment to attract someone to fractionally partner with you that is of the character that you wish that you had on your team, if that makes sense, right? And so I think if we can continue to do that and attract those type of people, they will, as you know, I mean, obviously you're his partner, you get it. You guys attract yeah. good operators and then they attract and it just all the way down to the customer. So yeah. it's not easy, but if you can nail it, it's you can move mountains. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we talk about the hiring process for, with our clients. We just talk about that you're hiring for both character and competence. We need to be looking for and testing for both. And all too often, they just focus on the competence. They focus on coaches who have XYZ certs, who know how to do some coaching cues, which is all important. You need to be able to do that stuff. And yes. you also have to have a character <laughs> that actually you know, embodies our values, embodies our culture. And oftentimes, people miss searching for that as clearly in the hiring process. So I'm so well, glad you brought that up. I'm sure you coach your operators to your core values. Like what are your core values, right? Yeah. I think a lot of times you can just build your most important questions off of your core values. So yes, one of ours is keep it simple. So we used to have 10, but in spirit of keep it simple one, we've got it (laughs) down to five. Um, But one of those five, because it's so important to us is humor with a little crazy. 
And mm-hmm. so we like a little bit wacky, wonky, weird, right? As long as we can still do business and, and show up and, and do really good work when needed and, you know, do all the, the real hard business metrics that we need to do. So you can build your questions around that. So, you know, one of the strangest questions that I always ask in an interview is just tell me your favorite joke. It's paralyzing sometimes for some, but you just want to see people who are somewhat on their toes, especially yeah. if you think of coaching you know, our model is coach six people at one time. So you have to be a bit of a bartender, right? You have to be able to sort of bounce around, make everyone feel special. This person gets a pat on the back. This person gets a little bit of tough love. This person gets some technique coaching and you have to understand what that looks like. And so thinking quickly on your feet and also having a sense of humor is is wildly important for us. So I think it's a great interview question. Tell me your favorite yeah. joke. And some people have one on deck and sometimes it's <laughs> that could be good or bad, I guess. But yeah, um, it's just fun to watch the responses and then you start to formulate over time. These are the responses that fit our core values. So I would say go through those if you have them and formulate some questions around those to make sure it's good culture fit. Yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice. And I think you know, if our listeners who haven't done it yet, go do it. Rick Mayo told you. Um, uh, also, also, I like the bartender analogy. I think it's a really great one, right? I mean, it makes a ton of sense. We often, you know, bartenders are people who have a high degree of emotional intelligence, right? They're really good at meeting yes. people where they're at, reading a room, knowing well, what people Well, you can see need. their face at the bar. This person's yeah. impatient and they've been waiting and it's exactly the same skill set. It really yeah, is. 100%. Uh, well, I'm going to pivot to our last question. I think we have time for here. And this, I'm going to make a personal one because this is one that people, when I have, you know, really successful people on the podcast, everyone wants to know some of their personal kind of hacks for how you run your life. And I don't really love the term hacks, but I'm just using the, using the lingo the kids use these days. I'm a hack. Um, you can say yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think one of the things I would love to know from you, Rick, is that you're a man who likes to do lots of things. You got your hands on all kinds of cookie jars and you have lots of opportunity in your life, you, you know, to do lots of things. So I'm really curious, how do you pick and choose what gets your time and attention these days? Yeah. And I think, I mean, geez, this is a great question. First time I've ever been asked. And I, I consider myself a, a podcaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love to have these conversations, but that is a great question. I think it's difficult to focus, but I think in this day and age with all of the distractions at play, if you can focus, it's a bit of a superpower. It really is. Yeah. And so. I think, um, you know, when you look at our career history, we always, like you said, we had hands in a lot of cookie jars. We had a coaching group as well. We had, mm-hmm. I owned a fitness education company for a while. I owned brick and mortar gyms. We had licensing. We did consulting. I sat on boards for other franchises, right? And when we decided to go to franchising, I had to let all of that go. So in some ways, franchising was at the expense of my squirrel brained entrepreneur. And, and you get a <laughs> lot of fulfillment from that if you think like an entrepreneur. So the massive amount of discipline, and I'm in my 50s now, so for me to continue to have to grow and and to grow by forcing yourself to do less is obscenely difficult and uncomfortable. But I think that that's the key, right? So right now, it's not as much about juggling as it is about keeping the main thing the main thing, which is very, very difficult to do. I think I was at a a seminar once, Michael, and it was um, CEO from Apple, right? And so we're all sitting there and there's a chunk of Apple things on these round top tables. It's not much. I mean, think about how big of a company Apple is. And he basically says, listen, we say no to more amazing ideas than you can possibly imagine to make the things, the items on your table, the best they could possibly be. So, you know, again, this is a very, very progressive company with a really interesting creative lens on it who's basically saying, yeah, we say no to all kinds of ideas. And I think that's the hard part when you're, you know, your listeners are hearing this and they're thinking, yeah, but I could make 
little money doing this and a little money doing that. But yes. boy, if, if you've got the vehicle that has the most upside, right, for your business, then just mm-hmm. stay focused on that. And I think, you know, you might hear like you need seven streams of revenue. It's like that typically happens after you do the thing really well and then you sell the thing and now you're more of an investor type, then you can do a bunch of things because you're not operating in them. It doesn't mean add seven light items of revenue if all of them are half-baked, right? And again, not, not saying that's the case, but be careful of that. Try to really stay focused on the main thing, which is very difficult to do. So yeah, for me, that's been the, the biggest challenge, but also it's reaped the biggest reward for me as well. Yeah, I think it really well said, my friend. It happens all the time. And I think even just this week, I can think of, Two or three conversations from our business unicorns clients coming to me saying, I want to add this service. I want to add this service. Someone just asked me to partner on this. Someone asked me to, to do that. Um, and all of them are distractions from the main thing. They're distractions from the core thing that still requires investment and time. And, and I think hearing from you in this podcast that your approach is now, even though it's been a tough decision, just do less things so you can do it better. Right. 100%. Uh, and, so, yeah. and I'm not going to lie, it's it's really uncomfortable. So for any yeah. entrepreneurs that are listening, like if, if you do focus on one thing and you find yourself like, it just feels off, right? It feels off center for me. That's absolutely normal. It's growth, right? Like the person you were to get your gym to half a million dollars is probably not the person, maybe diametrically opposed to the habits you need to now develop to get your gym to a million to do five gyms or whatever your aspirations are, right? And so it's just growth and growth is always messy and uncomfortable and, but it's absolutely necessary. So if anything, I like, I hope it gives you a shortcut. I've walked it before. I've been in a lot of the shoes of your listeners right now. That's even been recent after 30 years. This is probably the biggest aha I've had going to franchising is like singular focus is really powerful, very difficult, but very powerful. Yeah. Well said. I think we'll leave it there. Let's wrap up with this, Rick. How do people learn more about you, follow you on the interwebs? How do they learn more if they're interested in becoming an Alloy franchisee? Give them the information. Easy. Just alloyfranchise.com if you want to learn about the franchise. Otherwise, um, just I'm all over social media, so you can find me anywhere. So just look me up. If you have any questions, you guys, about this, you're, you DM me, uh, email me, hit me up through the website, whatever. I am a fan of entrepreneurship, and so I'll help you in any way that I can. Amazing. Thank you so much for this, Rick. I know your time is so valuable. So thank you for taking time to talk to our audience. Congratulations on, you know, launching the Alley franchise. It's going to do, it's going to continue to do amazing things, I'm sure. And I'm so excited to have a front row seat through Fisher <laughs> to, to watch it grow and bloom. So uh, thanks for being here today, my friend. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this content valuable, check us out at alloyfranchise.com for more information on the Alloy systems. Also, leave us a five-star review so we can spread the good word and help more people.